Chapter Five of the Girls of Friendly Terrace by Harriet Loomis Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, A Halloween Party. While Peggy's acquaintance with Elaine had been steadily progressing, the other girls were little farther along than on the memorable morning when they welcomed the wrong hack. Priscilla had begun to speak of Peggy's friend with an intonation which showed resentment. "'It's because we live next to each other, I suppose,' said Peggy, who never imagined that her own sunniness of disposition could prove a magnet to attract friends, and was always devising explanations for their abundance. "'You haven't had a fair chance. I believe I'll give a Halloween party, so that Elaine can get acquainted with the rest of you.' The suggestion awakened an enthusiasm that had little connection with Elaine. Peggy's parties were simple affairs, old-fashioned, one might call them, there was no orchestra playing behind a screen of palms, no elaborate refreshments, no display of pretty frocks. Indeed, Peggy very often said, Don't put on your good clothes, you might hurt them. Many a girl of Peggy's age who regards herself as a young lady would turn up her nose at one of Peggy's parties, where everybody came at eight o'clock, and went home correspondingly early, and where nobody made an effort to appear grown up. But since Peggy's guests invariably had a good time, the best time ever, they were likely to declare peggy was entirely satisfied elaine being new to the traditions of the terrace opened her eyes when peggy tendered her an invitation across the hedge a halloween party she repeated a question in her voice isn't that rather rather what inquired peggy with such good-natured curiosity that elaine almost regretted her beginning oh nothing only a halloween party seems rather childish don't you think i didn't think anything about it except that it was fun peggy answered tranquilly and then she added the warning so likely to accompany peggy's invitations don't wear your good clothes what i mean don't wear anything good enough to hurt i haven't anything particularly nice said elaine with dignity but if i'm going to a party where i'll meet a lot of strangers i naturally shall wear my best she looked at peggy half resentfully half perplexedly reflecting as she did so that peggy was the sort of girl who could wear an old dress to a party and have a good time in spite of it but then peggy wasn't like other people a very short residence on the terrace had been long enough to bring elaine to this conclusion peggy was very busy the next ten days she had never been accustomed to much spending money and she had early learned that for the drawback of a slender purse there is abundant compensation in cleverness and ingenuity whatever pleasure peggy's parties gave her friends she enjoyed them doubly for she had the pleasure of preparation along with the other if a bubbling laugh escaped over the transom of peggy's room when she was supposed to be abed and asleep some member of the household was sure to say peggy's got a new idea and to smile in sympathy that some busy brain had been evolving ideas and that busy hands had been carrying them out was evident enough on the night of the thirty-first the light was turned low in the hall, and a sheeted figure at the door welcomed each corner with extended hand. The ceremony of handshaking was generally followed by little shrill squeals on the part of the arrivals, and voluble exclamations. Elaine, coming in alone, and holding her head very high, distinguished herself by not screaming when the clammy hand touched hers, though she jumped, without any question. There was an unearthly chill about that hand, which, coupled with the sepulchral white garments, and the dark eyes showing through holes edged with red produced a singular shivery feeling along elaine's spine it's dick i guess said the girl who had entered just ahead of elaine plunging into conversation without waiting for an introduction 
he's got on gloves wet chemise skin gloves but who would imagine that it would feel so ghastly don't you love to have your blood run cold fortunately elaine was spared the necessity of answering that question by encountering peggy who gave both the rivals a rapturous squeeze and bore them off to her room to remove their wraps the raymond living-room had been transformed in honor of peggy's party jack-o'-lanterns grinned from the mantel and the bookcases a tub of water elaine noticed with disapproval occupied the centre of the room hung over the grate was an old iron kettle in whose depth something silvery bubbled responsive to the heat below the chairs set back against the wall were filled with laughing girls for in spite of peggy's repeated warnings that elaine was not to be late she was the last arrival we'll start with the lead that's boiling so nicely and perhaps lead boils away just as water does peggy brought out a long-handled tin spoon and a basin filled with water come ruth she commanded oh let somebody else take her turn first pleaded ruth but half a dozen hands pushed her forward cautiously she ladled a little of the melted lead into the water hissing it fell to the bottom of the basin taking shape as it cooled the girls crowded about to read the augury ruth peggy's voice was preternaturally solemn it's awful but it looks to me like three balls do you suppose you are going to marry a pawnbroker oh horrors cried ruth aghast milly weston patted her shoulder comfortingly don't you believe it i can see leaves and branches too those three balls are fruit oranges probably that means you're going to have an orange ranch in california or florida and make lots of money the rest of the fortune-telling proved equally cheerful the fantastic shapes assumed by the lead in cooling could be interpreted in a variety of ways while priscilla insisted that fate had moulded the lead she let fall into the shape of the horn of plenty which of course would signify prosperity peggy was positive that the lead had taken the form of a ship and signified a voyage while some of the girls saw a fish in the curved shape and advanced ingenious theories as to its meaning there was no disagreement as to elaine's fortune the lead took the form of a violin and peggy triumphantly prophesied that her new friend would make a success in music elaine smiled with a sense of superiority as one who had outgrown childish things but she could not help being glad of the violin in place of the rolling pin peggy had claimed for herself and which she considered argued skill in the domestic arts though elaine was trying hard to put peggy's lessons into execution she had not got beyond the point of regarding housework as drudgery by the time the supply of lead was exhausted the company was ready for something else into the tub filled with water peggy dropped three apples which bobbed against one another sociably and then went sailing off in different directions oh dear me peggy amy cried reproachfully i've got the loveliest wave in my hair and it would have lasted a week if it wasn't for you i always get down to the bottom of the tub when i bob for apples and look like a wet kitten for the rest of the evening i've had a pity on your hair honey peggy laughed with an approving pat of amy's fair locks it looks much too nice to spoil she brought a bow and arrow from the adjoining room instead of bobbing for apples she exclaimed you try to hit them with the arrow the yellow apple stands for wealth the red one for health and the green for happiness see dick fixed something sharp in the end of the arrow so it would stick the girls gathered around to admire then drew off while amy made her first attempt in archery the cord twanged as the arrow sped on its way there was a shriek from the girls on amy's right oh oh screamed blanche estabrook cowering and clutching frantically at the girl who stood next to her she's hit me it was only too true and considerable argument was needed to convince blanche that the injury was not serious 
as a matter of fact the arrow had pierced the bow of blue ribbon surmounting her knot of yellow curls and hung dangling what with the agonized exclamation of amy horrified over the thought of what might have happened and the chatter of the other girls trying to explain to blanche that she couldn't possibly be hurt peggy had some difficulty in restoring order the trouble was just here amy she explained to her friend you took aim as carefully as could be and then just at the last you shut your eyes now it stands to reason you can't hit a mark with your eyes shut you can hit a mark corrected priscilla but not the right one poor amy submitted to her friend's mild reproof without attempting to defend herself and withdrew to the corner in a very subdued mood the following archers were more successful many times it is true the arrow fell splashing into the water or stuck quivering in the sides of the tub but occasionally it pierced one of the three lucky targets and on such occasions the whole company shouted joyfully elaine was one of the fortunate archers when her arrow pierced the apple which stood for happiness her lips curled a trifle yet down in her heart she was conscious of an inconsistent wish that the green apple might be a true prophet happiness with a little ungirlish sigh elaine wondered if she was to find it on friendly terrace it was amy's unlucky night a little later twelve colored candles each standing upright in its own tiny candlestick were ranged the length of the long hall at intervals of two or three feet burning away like so many miniature lighthouses these stand for months exclaimed peggy the first one is november and then december and so on around the year if you jump over them without putting them out you'll have good luck all the year and if you put them out inquired amy anxiously every candle that goes out means bad luck for that particular month come priscilla you try it first in spite of her height priscilla was as light on her feet as a fairy drawing her skirts around her she went hopping down the hall so lightly that she left the whole twelve candles burning behind her the applause this feat called forth was less enthusiastic than it would have been a little later when the other girls had learned by experience the difficulties in the way of duplicating priscilla's performance while blanche was lamenting over the fact that the three candles which stood for the summer months had been extinguished which she interpreted to mean that she was to be disappointed in certain cherished vacation plans amy came forward to try her fate clutching her skirts frantically she jumped over the first candle coming down with a thump which fairly shook the house while the cheery little flame which stood for november blinked in astonishment and promptly went out ten times did amy repeat this feat when she reached the end of the hall only one of the twelve candles remained lighted and the girls were in peals of laughter tis the last rose of summer left blooming alone peggy quoted tragically but amy was in no mood to see the humor of the situation did you ever hear of anything so dreadful she moaned what a year only one lucky month in it the girls laughed again at her horrified tone and peggy crossed the room and shook her playfully you're actually pale you ridiculous superstitious creature she said severely as if it wasn't all a joke i guess we'll have some refreshments now to revive you the refreshments were of the simplest sort nuts and apples with plates of homemade candy but they added vastly to the evening's entertainment the chestnuts were placed in pairs on the coals of the great fire and when they bounded apart as the most of them did great excitement developed in the little company from the english walnuts tiny vessels were constructed and launched in couples on the troubled waters of the tub if the little crafts stuck together in their voyage across the omen was counted a good one while their parting company was hailed with lamentation all this gaiety had taken time the hands of the clock were pointing to half-past eleven the question is 
said Peggy solemnly. Who's to be the one to go down the cellar stairs? Several of the girls shuddered, but no one volunteered. It won't be me, cried Amy, excitement rendering her defiant of grammar. I wouldn't do it for the world, would you? she added, finding Elaine's eyes fixed on her curiously. Do what? I don't understand. Why, just as the clock is striking twelve, you go down the cellar stairs with a candle in one hand and a mirror in the other. You go down backward, Ruth reminded her. Oh, yes, you must walk backward, and when you get to the bottom of the stairs, you set the mirror down somewhere and the candle in front of it and begin to eat an apple. Apparently the solemnity of the proceeding was failing to make due impression on Elaine. Amy's voice became thrillingly mysterious. You must look and look into the mirror as hard as you can all the time that you're eating the apple, and before you've finished, a face will be looking over your shoulder. Oh, my! Amy indulged in a prolonged shiver. I wouldn't do it for worlds, she repeated. How odd! I shouldn't mind it at all, said Elaine. Why, then you can do it, Peggy cried. You're just the one. Light that red candle, Priscilla. No, not that. The largest one. Here's your mirror and your apple, and you must be ready to start down the stairs the minute the clock begins to strike twelve. It's a pretty big apple, considering what I've had already, laughed Elaine. Is it necessary to eat it all? Peggy assured her that this was very necessary, that even the core must be disposed of, but Amy cast upon the daring stranger a glance of unfeigned admiration. Isn't she brave? she said to Blanche, in an undertone, and a little assenting murmur went the rounds. You people are displeased by earning a reputation for heroism cheaply, and Elaine was smiling good-humouredly as she took her stand in front of the cellar door, the mirror in one hand and the lighted candle in the other, while she held the apple in her teeth, Peggy assuring her gravely that this was indispensable to the success of the charm. The grandfather's clock in the hall began to strike in its usual deliberate fashion. Peggy swung the door open and closed it again as Elaine began her hesitating descent into the darkness. At the bottom of the stairs she found two boxes placed in evident preparation for the ceremony, the taller against the wall, the lower just in front of it. Elaine set down the mirror, placed the candle beside it, and seating herself on the smaller box, began to eat her apple. It was very still upstairs. Elaine wondered, smilingly, how it was possible for so many chatterboxes to preserve so protracted a silence. The friendly terrace girls were a jolly crowd, that was certain, especially Peggy. Elaine's heart warmed as she thought of the stranger who had bidden her welcome, as if she were already a friend. If there were more people in the world like Peggy— The trend of her thought broke off sharply. The candle must have flickered. That was the explanation of the odd appearance in the mirror. She leaned forward, and the apple dropped from her hand, and bumped to the cellar floor. From the dimly lighted disc, two eyes looked back at her. In the momentary confusion of her ideas, Elaine was conscious only of a deep-rooted resentment against Amy. It was her foolish talk and her shivers which had got on her nerves and was responsible for this wild fancy. And while her common sense struggled to keep its supremacy over her growing panic, the eyes rolled in the mirror as if a head had turned and something brushed her cheek. Elaine's shrieks were answered by a chorus of screams from the room above. There was a wild rush of feet and the cellar door was flung open. Elaine could hear Amy's uplifted voice declaring, "'She's seen something! I tell you, she's seen something!' As Peggy rushed madly down the stairs to the rescue of her guest, a big tawny shape bounded to meet her. "'Get out of the way, Taffy! Get out!' Peggy commanded impatiently, and the dog whined his disappointment at such a greeting. But Elaine, when Peggy reached her, was laughing and crying together. 
you poor darling peggy flung her arms about her friend and glared defiantly into the darkness what happened did you see anything it must have been the the dog sobbed elaine he came up b behind me so softly i didn't hear him and i saw his eyes in the mirror i d didn't know he was going down here by the time the two had got upstairs merriment had replaced consternation among peggy's guests the appearance of taffy waving a triumphant yellow tail suggested the explanation of the mystery rather to the disappointment of some whose expectations had been so highly keyed that the truth seemed really commonplace the appearance of elaine her lashes moist and her lips still trembling was the signal for friendly advances on the part of all the girls gathered about the crestfallen heroine patted her petted her praised her courage in attempting such an adventure and assured her that none of them would have been brave enough to try it occasionally a hint of patronage peeped through the comfort and elaine was made aware that she forfeited her reputation for courage almost as soon as she had made it but on the whole the kindliness was comforting to a girl who carried a sore spot in her inmost heart and in spite of the untoward ending elaine carried home a very pleasant impression of her first party on friendly terrace end of chapter five